I've been told I can only ask you one question, so I would very much like you to answer it. Do you honestly believe that Britain will be better off outside of the EU? We are negotiating a future for Britain in relationship to the EU, which maintains that trading relationship. That's what we have to do. You would be the Prime Minister delivering Brexit. Do you in all honesty think that we would be better off outside of the, the EU than in it? The Prime Minister delivering Brexit, if it's us, Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast and this week I am joined by none other than the new MEP for the North West, Chris Davis. How do you do Chris? Good to see you John. Well, and we've done this podcast because we've just been filming here with Chris but there's so much politics going on I think it's important to have a bit of a roundup of the, the latest news. Um, you can follow Chris on Twitter at at Chris Davis LD, you can follow myself at, at John Potter LD, and you can follow everything to do with the Lib Dem pod at, at Lib Dem pod. Any whimpering you hear in the background is the dog, of course, as you all know, any of you that listen to it, he usually likes to make some sort of appearance. Um, so we'll start off, first of all, we'll talk about we've got a new MP, which is Sarah Wollaston, which is fantastic. I mean, what are your thoughts, Chris? Are the, you expect more to come in the next few days and weeks? I do expect a few more people to join us. Uh, I think I'm delighted that Sarah's come. Remember that uh, she was a very independent Conservative MEP, MP. Mm. She was picked in a, a unique open selection process. Yeah. And I think so she was they stopped it, I yeah, think. Well, she yeah, was, she was always seen as an independent uh, within the Conservative Party. Then, of course, she genuinely became a, an independent. Um, and, of course, if you remember, she started off as a leaver during the referendum campaign. Yeah, that's right. And during the course of the campaign itself became a Remainer. Yeah. Um, so, of course, I welcome her to, uh, to the Liberal Democrats. And uh, it's good to have, I mean, even if she didn't actually realise it, I think she is instinctively a Liberal. Yes. And uh, I hope so anyway. What I would say, though, is we've only got 14 MPs. Yeah. I know, you know, when I was in the House of Commons in the last century, we went up to 24. And then after I'd left, we went up to 63. Oh, so, right. <laughs> you, know, you know, 14 is not that great. But mm. what it really shows is that we're credible again. We're, uh, we're back at uh, up to 20% in the opinion polls. Yeah. People are looking to us as part of the future. Just a few months ago, you know, who, who would have believed well, we'd I, have made such progress? Yeah, and I remember sitting in uh, your campaign meeting when we were talking about the start of the Euro election campaign where we were thinking, oh, blimey, we've got Change UK hitting us from one side, we've got the Greens, we've got Labour. Will we struggle to get yourself elected to the European Parliament, get that 9% threshold? And in the end, we got two. We got yourself and Jane elected to the North West. So, I mean, the change in the last few months has been incredible, really. Um, but also, whether it's Sarah or Chucker, you know, some people say, oh, it's an easy decision. Easy decision to move across. They were upset. But you've got to think, both Chucker and Sarah, if you look at the Lib Dem position in those seats, it is by no means certain that even with them defecting across, they will be able to keep their seats in a general election. Um, I mean, Sarah's seat in, uh, in Totnes, where the Lib Dems, it was a marginal, to 2010, but then since coalition has been very tough, so it's not something they're doing without risk to themselves and their career personally. Um, but it's also fantastic we have another woman on the team, so we now have, I think, 42% of our MPs are now women, which is brilliant. Um, well, it's not quite as good as the European Parliamentary Party, where the men are seriously outnumbered by the women. I'll just, just point this out, you know. <laughs> yes, but it will keep Caroline Lucas happy, if anything else. But, I, I mean, it, it was on the agenda to talk about Caroline Lucas and her all-female cabinet and what our thoughts were on that. But it's been kind of overtaken with events over the last 48 hours with 
um, so-called Jeremy Corbyn asking for a, a, a caretaker stroke unitary um, government with him at the, at the head. Now, imagine an alternative universe, Chris, where you're in, you're in Joe Swinston's shoes. What would you do? I think she's got to keep her options open because, of course, if, if 20 Conservatives say they're prepared to support Jeremy Corbyn, mm. uh, even on an interim basis, then obviously that changes um, the equation significantly. Yeah. But I think she's played it absolutely right so far. I mean, and how many people genuinely believe that a large number of Conservatives will feel able to support Jeremy Corbyn for whatever period? Mm. I mean, it's just uh, you've got to, in this situation, where the absolute priority is to try and stop a, a no-deal Brexit, um, then you know, you've, obviously you've got to be able to command every possible vote. Yeah. And Jeremy Corbyn is a hurdle. I mean, he's yeah. a hurdle, of, of course, even with his own party. And according to most of the opinion polls I've seen, he's potentially the, the most unpopular party leader there's ever been. Yeah, ever. So, so right. you know, why, for his own political advantage, I understand why he's doing this. But yeah. how can the Labour Party really object to Harriet Harman, for example, being an interim leader? Yeah, that's right. And, and it's kind of, I mean, it, it's good politics from the Labour strategy. It has, it's certainly, it's got, a, it's got a bit of a tension over the last 24 hours and certainly a lot of people said, ah, oh, well, it, and then they're putting a ridiculous thing out now saying, Lib, if no deal happens, it's because of the Lib Dems is their line they're going with, which is, which is rich given that, that not only did they um, uh, sign off on Article 50 being done in the first place, which of course Lib Dems voted against, um, but the idea that somehow a man who has spent a lifetime as a Eurosceptic and as a and and really important actually, he was saying he would like a general election before a, a people's vote or a, or a second referendum. But what what would the Labour Party go into campaigning for in that general election? At the moment, their policy is to still go through with Brexit, but just a Labour deal rather than a Conservative one. I think. And who knows, because, you know, what day of the week is it? So it does seem to change. I think the, 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 uh, the policy now is to have a, is to have a general election, but, to, but during the course of that campaign, the Labour Party will commit itself to another referendum. Yes. But who knows? But, I think, yeah. to be fair, though, just going back to where you started, I think Jo Swinson has played this just about right. Yeah. Um, she was uh, right to, uh, uh, to call for uh, an interim government to be led by someone who, who could command the genuine majority support in yeah. the House of Commons. And of course, she's been further right. You know, I don't know whether it was just accident or or, or or good timing, then to secure the commitment of both Ken Clark and Harriet Harman to, yeah. to to taking on that role. Yeah. Do you think? Do you actually think that will happen? If, if you had to put your your five uh, pounds worth on it, do you think we will get a, a government of kind of unity and will oust Boris Johnson? Here, of course, we are hugely dependent on the Speaker first of all, mm-hmm. who seems prepared to um, to make up. Yeah, to well, make up your House of Commons rules as he goes yeah. along, which is fair enough. Because, I'm sure he wouldn't say make up. I'm well, sure he would to interpret to, differently. To, to, to interpret them differently. To interpret, <laughs> yeah. to interpret them in a, in a way which allows parliamentarians to uh, to exert their authority over the executive. It's been fascinating, though, isn't it? Just mm. just putting the Brexit issue to one side. You know, the European Union used to get commit used to get uh, criticised for for its lack of 100% democracy, yeah. although no one could actually say what would make it properly More democratic. democratic. Yeah, yeah. And people in Britain, you know, who've been inflicted with the most undemocratic election system in, in Europe, yeah. um, would rightly be um, sceptical about some of the things that are being said by, by critics of the European Union. But who would have, who, how many people in Britain realised until a few months ago that in 100 years, 
the House of Commons had never been able to decide its own business yeah, until, yeah. until before the summer recess when, mm. when it exerted its authority and managed to get one day, for one single day, mm. it, uh, it controlled its own agenda. That's astonishing, really, isn't it? It, it is. It's, it's incredible. And, and, and a lot of the, the, the kind of Brexiteer arguments just seem like utter hypocrisy, actually, when you, when you look at it in those terms. But um, So, I mean, you'd probably be a very rich man, actually, if you could guess what's going to happen even in the next 48 hours uh, in terms of where it will go. But do you, are, you expecting, are you expecting Britain to go out on the 31st of October? I still think it very, very unlikely that that will happen. Uh, not least because we won't have most of the legislation necessary to keep things working <laughs> in place by then. Yeah. So I, 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 I would still expect uh, a bid to be made for an extension simply in order to try and ensure, uh, even if there's no deal, that we have an orderly no deal because yeah. we're not ready for it. We haven't yeah. got the legislation in place, uh, let alone um, literally hundreds of international agreements which uh, will collapse if we are not part of the European Union. Yeah. So. What every, the, the big issue, of course, for everyone is complete uncertainty. No one knows what the outcome will be. All, all we do know is there is uh, a, a situation ripe with confusion. Yeah. And we might as well, since you're here, and I'm very grateful you're here, um, what is the... I mean, I get the impression from our European colleagues that they are going ever more frustrated with Britain and patience is getting a lot less... What, what as a as an MEP now back into it, you're obviously chair of the Fisheries Committee as well. What's your impression of how Europe is actually seeing Britain at the moment? I stood in a lift with a Swedish uh, MEP uh, just before the summer recess, and he said, "You know, we used to follow this hour by hour, day by day, yeah. because it was the best soap opera in town. Right. But now the plots seem to have um, kept repeating themselves, you know, and, and it started to get boring. Yeah. And and that's the problem. People do not want." the UK to leave the European Union. No. But they are bored and they want to move on, uh, just as people in Britain are bored and want to move on. Um, and uh, so, so if a request is made for an extension, I have no doubt an extension of time, yeah. I have no doubt that will be agreed to because people don't want uh, uh, unnecessary chaos, yeah. uh, let, let alone you know, uh, damage to the economy and jobs being lost on either side of the channel. But, um, but people are really saying to the UK, we simply do not know even now what yeah. you actually want. Um, because you know, the deal that's been negotiated has been negotiated, you shook hands with it. Yeah. You know, what, what, is it what is the EU supposed to do? It shakes hands with a, with a prime minister and says the deal is here. Yeah. And then it's supposed, it is supposed to be, uh, it, it allegedly is, is, um, is, is bullying the UK into trying to, into pressurizing mm. it into, into accepting a deal which it, its own prime minister and I've had I've had loads of conversations with you know, people not inside the political bubble said, "Well, you know, we should leave because of the way Europe has treated us in these negotiations." And I said, well, "What have Europe done except play with a completely straight bat and said these are these are what you want? We're not going to um, overrule some of the founding principles of free movement of people, goods, services, and capital. They're not going to do that." So. It's been unrealistic expectation management from within the Conservative Party that's kind of led us to this mess. Yes, and of course the negotiations, the real negotiations, i.e. between uh, to establish a long-term relationship between mm. the UK and, and the European Union, haven't even started. No. And that's you know, when people say, oh, I just want Brexit to end, I want all this stuff to, 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 to come, to a, come to a halt. 
Ugh, we haven't even started no, yet. We've got years, maybe even decades of this stuff going on. And what's on? it all for? Yeah. What's to make us for? worse. To make you know, us worse. I mean, all the things, you know, the, people think we're pushed around by the European Union. You know, the reality is that all the things that matter to people, like mm. uh, fighting crime, like uh, our hospitals, like our education, like our, our defence, like uh, uh, like pensions, like climate unemployment change, benefit, yeah. like, like uh, well, not climate change, like, like social, social welfare, all these sort of things. Yeah. The day-to-day things that matter, these are not European Union responsibilities. Oh, right. Big part, but sorry. when you come on to climate change, you know that that's a typical example of one of those areas where we should be working together as closely as possible as Team Europe, Team Europe, frankly, against the rest of the world, or well, at least as as uh, as, as uh, innovators and encouragers mm. to try and stimulate the measures necessary to to deal with issues like climate change glo- globally. And it would be remiss me. This is just a short uh, podcast, listeners, just giving you a quick news update of what's going on. We have further ones coming up with myself and Richard talking about party policy and another one with uh, uh, MEP Jane Brophy talking about her kind of journey to where she's got. But very, very quickly, uh, Chris. So what has been, I mean, obviously you're back in the European Parliament. What has it been like for you going back? What's been your experience of it? Well, I, I, let's be... Um... There's an expression I keep using, which I probably won't on this, but... Uh, we can bleep it out if okay. it's bad. Well, a, coll- a new colleague of mine said, Chris, you look as happy as a pig in shit. <laughs> and indeed I am. It's true. It's yeah. true. You know, I've been out for five years. And I've had five years in which to think of you know, how I would do things differently, how I would, uh, um, how I would act more rapidly and try and bring about change. So, OK, I'm chairman of the Fisheries Committee, and I've got a strong commitment to ensuring that we have environmentally sustainable fisheries policies. Yeah. We can build up our fish stocks across Europe. Uh, and and six, progress has been made. I mean, progress has been made in my absence, but partly because of some of the policies that were introduced in my last term. Uh, and but there's a lot still to be done. And in many parts of Europe, like the Mediterranean, it, it's mm. still a disaster. I mean, we're abs- the overfishing in the Mediterranean is just, just, just wiping out all the fish in the sea. Yeah. There's a lot, lot to be done. And I can help uh, steer the agenda and, put, and, and force parliamentarians to, to face up to some of these issues. And then, of course, on, on issues like climate change, which I've been involved with for years, you know, especially on carbon capture, um, that's something where, where you know, I, w- I hope to leave a legacy. Yeah. Uh, if by some disaster we do crash out on the 31st of October, I will ensure that there's a pressure group, a cross-party pressure, pressure group established within the parliament that will be campaigning to ensure that we're um, promoting some of the technology, which is absolutely essential if we're to reach... Uh, zero carbon yeah. uh, li- li- limitations by 2050. Wonderful. Well, good luck to you. I know you've got more meetings on today, so thank you very much for stopping in. Um, if you, like I say, do follow uh, Chris on Twitter. He is very good at riling up uh, the Brexit party, which is, you know, which is in itself worthwhile. Um, so do follow him at, at ChrisDavisLD. He, he also has a Facebook page as well where you can follow all his coming and goings. And thank you very much for listening. Do remember to subscribe, to share, to rate, so more and more people listen to it. We are, me and Richard are delighted that more people join us and listen to us every time. Uh, and you are very welcome to go and listen to some of our previous podcasts, particularly ones with Lisa Smart, which were very popular about how she became a target candidate. So go check them out. Thank you very much for listening and have a nice weekend. <laughs>